It is wonderful. We are today moving into our second sermon series on the Gospel of Luke. And uh, Luke is so loaded, and so we are, we are excited and, and blessed to be able to do this. Um, I did realize as I was writing this sermon series, I realized that uh, the sermon series doesn't get us to the passion narrative which is kind of Luke's entire climax. And we're like, okay, so what's happening with that? I want to, uh, I want to assure you, you that I am leaving the Passion series until as we approach Easter, we're going to come back and do a third sermon series in the Gospel of Luke that will take us through the Passion narrative. So if we get to the end of this sermon series, we haven't done the Passion narrative. That's simply because um, we're waiting until Easter to do that. And, uh, and then it allows us to not cram through this one. Um, this sermon series I've, I've titled Jesus the Theologian because um, although Jesus didn't study God, which is what theology actually means, um, we see Jesus as a theologian. Um, wow, just lost my notes. There they are. We see Jesus as a theologian in in Luke because he is teaching things and uh, and he is he is constantly teaching a new way to live. Um, so, what happens with the Gospel of Luke? It's a very unique gospel because Luke includes content that are not found in the other gospels. There are stories that Jesus tells that you can't find in Matthew, Mark, or John. They just don't exist there. And, uh, and so I'm going to talk a little bit about why that exists and where that's from, and then we're going to move right into one of these stories that Luke tells. So what, what's happened is as Luke writes, we see right in his introduction that he is thinking about what has happened. He is researching what has happened. He is testing the narratives of what has happened. And he's going through these thoughts and he's saying, what are the stories that still need to be told of Jesus? The way the Gospels are created is, they, is, is there was something called an oral tradition. The church actually would speak of the teachings of Jesus and speak of the teachings of the apostles. And, and they created this tradition where it was like, this is, this is the true sayings of Jesus. This is what actually happened. And the Gospel writers came and they, they wrote... And I mean, we've got we've got Matthew who wrote probably from experience. We've got uh, Mark who wrote probably from Peter's experience, and we've got Luke who researches um, what what has happened and he writes. So, when Luke includes new content, he's doing something very intentionally. He is communicating something that he believes this needs to be said in the church. Jesus said it, and it needs to not be forgotten. And so he is intentionally including stories that have significant weight. Today we're looking at a story that has significant weight, and we're going to dig into why it has weight and how we can grow in it. So if you are following along, you can use your tablet and go into 
today's message. At the bottom of today's message, there will be a spot that you could do text messages, and, uh, and I will get to them at the end. And so I encourage you to do that. Let me, uh, let me read the scripture, and then we'll, we're going to pray. There was a man who had two sons. This is Luke 15, chapter, <laughs> verse 11. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. This is now coming all back to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, <coughs> the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And while he was a still long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant and he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This story makes way more sense. This is wonderful because what we, what we have here is a story of repentance. What we have that Luke has included is a very important story of how repentance works. So we've gone through this setup where the story, you know, the, the young boy has, has come and said, Father, I want to move out. I want my inheritance now, which is a great shameful thing to do. I'm going to get into that in a minute. But he hit upon rock-hard times. 
and and he hit what we would call rock bottom. He hits this rock bottom and he goes, no, this, this isn't the life for me. Even the servants at home do better. And so what, what he does is he makes a plan. He makes a very clear three-step plan to repent. And this plan is in perfect alignment with his culture. This plan is exactly how you are supposed to repent. This is what it takes. Step one of repentance is really, really simple. You recognize that you have wronged God and you need to make amends. So recognize that you are sinful. You recognize that you're sinful. That's the first step that you need in order to repent. And this is very embedded in the Jewish culture. It's embedded in our Christian culture that you have to recognize that you've done something wrong. And so in these verses, he says, Father, um, I have sinned against you and heaven. And so that's step two right here. You need to confess, tell somebody that you are sinful. This is the assumed road of repentance. This is what you need to do. You need to tell somebody I have sinned. I have made error. I have done something, and it's not just personal. It's I've done something against God. The sin in my heart, the things that I've done, they are against God, and so we have to tell somebody that. That is, that is the way it works, right? I mean, it's the assumed order of repentance. This is what happens, and he's created this plan in, in these verses after he came to himself, Third one we need to do is we need to change the way that we think and act so that we can be accepted in. So um, God's Word translation actually uses the, the uh, every time the word metanoia, which is the Greek word for repentance, every time that word is used, the God's Word translates it into change the way you think and act. It actually uses a whole bunch of words to cover this one idea. Whereas, you know, we get this, this idea in other translations of, you know, repentance. And so we need to show their repentance. They, you have to do something that proves it. You have to do something that, that makes amends. You've got to like, you have to somehow like fix what you did wrong. And this is what would be fully expected. So when Jesus is telling the story, first the people are appalled at how bad the sin is. And second, when the son comes to his senses, everybody goes, yep, that's what you're supposed to do. This is exactly what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to recognize you're sinful. You're supposed to tell somebody you're sinful. And then you're supposed to do something so that you could be accepted back in. And so the, the young boy has it completely right. He says... I will, oh, he came to his senses. He says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say, Father, I've sinned against you and, and uh, sorry, against heaven and before you. That's point two. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Okay, still kind of point two. Point three is treat me as one of your hired servants. I can't be, I cannot be there. I can't do that. So what Jesus does here is really surprising because Jesus highlights that the son does not actually want to be part 
of the family. He actually says, I, I can't make amends here. And he really wants no grace. What he's done through this process is he's actually said, yes, I'm wrong. And, I'm, and I acknowledge it, but I'm not looking for grace. I'm looking to make it right. I don't deserve to be your son anymore. I don't deserve to have this title, this closeness. I only want to be close enough to survive. I want to be close enough just to have God get me out of this situation. I don't, I don't want God to like, you know, like fully embrace me. I don't want that level of commitment. I want to, I want to be close enough to God. Even the hired servants have more bread than I do. I want to be able to survive, but I don't quite want to be called a son any longer. I need my distance. I need my autonomy. I need my space. I don't want your grace. I want to earn my right back. In our Christian life, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I know I have in my life. I've, I have sinned. I've done something that, that my conscience seared me, and I was like, ooh, I shouldn't have done that. Like, you know, I read the wrong passage once when I was preaching and uh, fully dug right in and then realized I went down the wrong road. But in, in all seriousness, I've sinned, and I've done things that are wrong. And instantly, the narrative in my mind goes into, oh, man, I just really disappointed God. <sighs> How am I even worthy to be called a pastor? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'm going to make sure that this week I just spend more time in prayer than last week to make up for my sin. I'm going to do this. I'm, you know what? I'm actually, I'm going to give $10 more to that other organization because because that's, that's how I'm going to make up for it. I'm going to, God, I know that I sinned. I know I screwed up, but I'm going to make it up to you. I'm going to do something that you're going to really be impressed with. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be okay with it. And so what we see is, is that this action, we see this action actually being a rejection of grace. We see that the son here is, is rejecting grace. So we see, we also see it in others, don't we? When somebody sins who's a strong Christian, we say, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't have sinned. You're, that person really shouldn't have done that. And before I trust you with leadership, before I trust you with, with, with okay, I'm, no, you've got to make that up. How could you call yourself a child of God? How could you, you, no, nope, no. And we just, we also not only in ourselves sometimes refuse grace, but we also resist offering grace to others. 
because you didn't follow the formula right. You didn't try to make it up. You, you confessed that you were a sinner. You, you, you acknowledged that you were consider, a sinner. You confessed it, but then you didn't, you, you got you to gotta prove it. Show me. Show me. So that's the way the story has gone. The plan has been made that I'm going to, that the, that the boy is going to come back to the father. The boy is going, has acknowledged that he's wrong. He's going to confess, and then he's going to prove his way back in, but only at arm's length. How many times do we resist God and say, God, I need your, I need your blessing. I need you to get me out of this mess, but I'm not ready to make that full commitment to be back in your family. Funny thing is, the son never actually left the family. You'll notice that he addresses his father as father and not Lord. He was never removed from the family. So, let's look at the expectation that the son had of these three steps and compare it to the reality of what actually happened. Luke 15, 20 to 24, we hear a very repeated sound. He rose, came back to his father. That's good. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him, and now the son's plan is already starting to go awry. Because the father saw him and felt compassion. You're not supposed to feel compassion. I just messed up everything. You're not supposed to feel sorry for me. I need to prove my worth again. And the father saw, felt compassion, ran and embraced him, and kissed him. And the son tries to redeem his plan. Okay, this was not what I expected. I did not expect this. I expected something very different. So he, he's, he start, the son starts talking. The son goes, okay, let me get my plan on the road again. He says, he says, I am never bringing my phone again. He said, I am no, oh, he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That is the first confession that he'd planned to say, and he gets it out there. And he goes, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And you could hear the next words coming out of his lips. You could hear the next thing that he was going to say. And the father stops paying attention. The father cuts him off and starts talking to somebody else. The plan in the son's mind is I've got to make amends. I've got to prove it. And the father goes, "Mm -mm, stop. You go get everything that redeems this son and brings him back into the fullness of relationship. You go do, go get him a ring. Go get him, go put, put the clothing back on him that brings him the honor due his name. Go and treat him the way that he does not think he deserves to be treated. And he stops listening to his son. He stops allowing his son to carry the shame of his sin. He stops it right dead in its tracks. And he says, there is no more room to carry the shame of your sin. And in doing this, Jesus affirms a two-step process of repentance, not a three-step process of repentance. 
In doing this, Jesus says what it takes is it takes an acknowledgement in our heart and in our mind that we have sinned against God, and it takes a confession that says that, God, I have sinned before you and before man. End. There is no making amends with God. There is no, there is no fixing it. In ancient Near East stories, um, asking for an inheritance always meets with a bad end. But the father in this story publicly expresses complete reconciliation before the son had a chance to make amends. He cut him off. He cut him off. And he goes, you're not going to make amends. You're not going to fix this situation. You're not going to degrade yourself any longer. If there is a sin in your life, something that your conscience is pushing against you on, something that, that is clear in God's word and, and the Holy Spirit is working on you and he's, and he's reforming you and he's transforming you because we expect that God does that because he's shaping us into the image of Jesus. If there is a sin in your life that God is working on you, this message is really, really important for you. There is an acknowledgement and there is a confession. And then we see God's response. Then we see God's response, and this is amazing. So I was going to talk about this in ancient Near Eastern stories. There's this really tragic story. There, are, there were parallels in Jesus' time of stories where sons would ask for their inheritance. This is one of them. Very, very quick. The story of Achkar. He's a nephew who plots against his adopted father. So his father had died, and his uncle became his father. And, uh, and they were very, very rich. And the, then the son, nephew, never respected the uncle because the uncle wasn't like the father. And so the, the nephew approached the uncle and said, give me my inheritance. Give me my inheritance because I need to cut from this family tribe because I don't respect you for who you are. I don't respect the way that you're doing things. It's out. The father, uncle, took that in, in the culture as it should have been taken, which was a massive, massive insult. And in response to regain his honor, the father buried his son, his adopted son, in the sand up to his neck. And this story is known in Jesus' time. It's circled in Jesus' in Jesus' space. The, the father buries his son up, into the, up to the neck in sand and quotes the Proverbs to him until he dies. That's how you treat a son who wants you dead. That's what you deserve. That's what you get when you, when you ask for your father's inheritance according to that culture. So Jesus isn't telling a new story. He's not picking out a story out of thin air. He's actually telling a story that they know. And he's giving it a very different ending, a very important ending. And he's saying, no, 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 no. God, who is the father in this story, is very different. You confess your sin. You turn to God and say, God, I am sorry. I've sinned against you and I've sinned against man. And God makes amends before you have a chance to. 
He removes our shame from us. We can't make amends with God. This unfair, disgusting grace wrecks my heart because the son doesn't deserve to be accepted. The truth of the situation is this son deserved to meet Akbar's fate. This son deserved to die. And so the grace that God offers is insulting. Insulting to the Father. Insulting to God himself. The one who has been sinned against carries all of the shame. The one who has been sinned against carries all of the pain, all of the, all of the blame. And the one who actually did the action gets to be celebrated. This is wrong. There is something wrong with the formula here. It's offensive. The father looks foolish. So why is this here? Well, it's here because this is who God is. It's here because God has actually said, I'm going to come down and I'm going to forgive their sins even though they don't deserve it. I'm going to come down and I'm going to walk with them even though they could never fix the things that they've done. They could never take away the insult that they have given to me. They could never make it right. They couldn't do it. And the father says, but I will. See, modern Christianity sometimes, and our own experience, our own humanity, puts the making amends back into the equation. But the key to grace isn't in making amends. The key to grace is in acknowledging and saying, God, I have sinned against you and sinned against have, uh, others. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. The key to grace is forgiveness, is, is asking for forgiveness. The older brother, as we get into the story, the older brother, he represents the Pharisees of the day and he re- represents us today. The older brother would have barred the younger brother from entry. He would have stopped him from coming in. It's blatant in the text. He would have stopped him dead in his tracks he would have said, I'm sorry, you need to make amends first. You need to show me the, the evidence of your, of your conversion. You need to show me something. Give me substance. Don't just say some words and expect that God's okay with you now. You've got to show me something. And, and the message in this gets really, really pointed when, the f- when Jesus continues the story and says, mm, look, at what, look at what Jesus says to the older brother. Jesus says that the father said to the older brother, son, you're always with me and all that's mine is yours. 
It's fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and now he is alive. He was lost and now he was found. Why are you trying to bar entry? Why are, you t- why are you saying this isn't good? Because all I had is yours. Guys, if we believe that God is infinite and eternal, if he, is, if he is as big as we think he is, and resources aren't an issue for God, then what's it to us if God lets somebody else in? The blessing that we receive is exactly the same everything that God has given us, he's giving to us. And he's also saying, you also can have it. You also can have it. This is for humanity. This is freely for humanity. And God takes on the shame. Guys, this is the good news. When, when Jesus tells this story, He's changing the paradigms of the way that we as humans in our culture think. And he's saying, you can't make it up, but you can confess. Okay, so because I spent a whole seven minutes messing up this the service at the beginning, I'm running a little bit late, but I have some text messages. I'm going to take um, the first three that pop up, and then we'll keep the... Uh, We'll keep the other ones for our forum Sunday or something, or I'll actually figure out some other way to bring them up. Okay. Could it be that the son didn't expect grace, not didn't want grace? It could be that the son did not expect grace. Um, absolutely. But there is also the the speculation that by saying I'm going to just be a servant, he's already, he's already wanting grace there. He's already asking for grace in, in a way, but he's doing it in a way that we so often as Christians do it. I was talking to uh, a non-Christian friend of mine and I was sharing to her the gospel and, and she said, this is amazing. I love it. It's beautiful. And her next words were, is there a way that we can do this without the God thing? This is real. We want the benefits of God. God, bail me out of the situation. God, I got myself in this hard time. I didn't study for my last test. This was me in, in high school. I didn't study for my last test. And uh, your word says something about bringing stuff back to remembrance, which has nothing to do with this at all. But I'm sure you said remembrance. I'm sure you said I have the ability. So uh, bail me out. God, I really need you right now. <laughs> Okay, I didn't really want grace. I wanted the benefit of God. I wanted the benefit that I was going to survive. But I didn't want the commitments. And I think that's what's going on here is the son saying, oh, I'm in such a bad place. Even the hired servants are treated better in my house, in my father's house. So I should go back there so I could survive. I'm hungry. He's driven by his need, not by a true desire to reconcile with his father. That's the way I read it, um, and there are some commentaries that read it as well that way. So, good question. Sin is revealed through Holy Spirit. Confess sin, turn away from sin, ask the Father for forgiveness, accept repentance, celebrate, and cloak yourself in God's grace. Offer praise and thanksgiving. We are human, and Jesus has compassion for us and blesses us with his love anyway. There is nothing we do to earn. God the Father gives it to us because of his love. Yes, absolutely. And... 
you took four, five lines to do what I did in 30 minutes. Amazing. But this is true. This is a good synthesis of, of what we're doing. Excellent. Love restores. It does not induce shame or condemnation. The Father's will is to restore and bring life. He chastises and corrects. Satan will lie that you have to believe otherwise. The Father's perfect love, refined in truth, will bring freedom. And God is so good. God is so good. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this congregation's grace, and I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you restore us into relationship faster than we can even imagine. You, you sometimes even cut us off and say, I know. I know I love you, and I will empower you, and I will put you back into position. I'll put you back into the field. I'll put you right back and say, I'm with you. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you, that you do empower us. God, in none of this do you, take, do you take this lightly because you took it upon yourself and you took all the shame and you took all of the making amends upon yourself and the cross. This is not something you do lightly, but it's something you do freely to us. And so, Jesus, I pray that as you transform us, as you build our, your image in us, God, I pray that you, would, that you would allow us to understand your grace. I thank you so much for it. In Jesus' name, amen.